Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled On the Case to Reduce the Cumulative Burden of Elevated LDLC in Patients with Severe Familial Hypercholesterolemia. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an independent medical education grant from Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, Incorporated. George is a 42-year-old male who is diagnosed with familial hypercholesterolemia in his early 20s. He's been on statins, azetamibe, and most recently a PCSK9 inhibitor, but he's been unable to hit his LDLC target goals. I'm Dr. Chris Cannon, a cardiologist at Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School in Boston. Here we have an activity entitled, On the Case to Reduce the Cumulative Burden of Elevated LDLC in Patients with Severe Familial Hypercholesterolemia. We'll begin in the first session where we'll discuss the cumulative burden of elevated LDLC in patients with severe FH. Well, first, let's talk about the prevalence and impact of familial hypercholesterolemia. FH is the most common cardiovascular genetic disorder, and the prevalence of heterozygous FH is about one in every 200 people, but homozygous FH, it's about one out of every 160,000. So that means there are only about 2,000 or so patients in the United States who have homozygous FH. Now, in FH, the genetic mutations impair the way the body clears cholesterol, resulting in extremely high levels of LDL cholesterol. And these can be as high as 500 to 1,000 milligrams per deciliter, more than four times the upper limit of normal. The concept that has recently been brought to hypercholesterolemia is one that we've done for cigarette smoking. We talk about how many pack years patients have smoked. And so we realize the same thing applies for cholesterol of how many years did you have really high LDL cholesterol? This was one diagram that looks over time the cumulative amount of exposure of cholesterol over the years that is higher, obviously, the higher the baseline cholesterol. And so patients with homozygous FH will reach a very high burden of cumulative cholesterol at a very young age. Clinically, we see that they develop clinical manifestations of that with MIs and need for revascularization, et cetera, at very young ages. Overall, the cardiovascular risk can be 6 to 17 times higher with increasing amounts of LDL cholesterol over the years. With this concept, the notion of lowering the LDL to lower that cumulative burden makes total sense. And so this points to the benefit of trying to start that treatment early to try and reduce the total amount of cholesterol that the arteries are exposed to. In the next section, we'll discuss the impacts and benefits of treating severe FH as early as possible. Here we have a diagram that shows the impact of early detection of high cholesterol and treatment. So as we noted, the concept of the cumulative burden leads to a high amount of exposure of cholesterol to arteries at a younger and younger age. 
based on the level of cholesterol. So those at the bottom with homozygous FH with really high LDLs develop that threshold of high cholesterol exposure at a very young age. The same is true for heterozygous FH as shown. And the dashed lines show that if one can lower the cholesterol with the therapy, then that can extend the time before which you would reach these thresholds whereby cardiovascular disease would develop. And so the earlier we start that, the longer it takes before you would go on to develop cardiovascular disease. It's kind of a new concept, but I think one that makes good sense. Now, when we think about genetic disorder, this is present at birth. And so there are then considerations for children. We don't often think about treating children for cholesterol, but for a homozygous FH population where the LDLC levels are above 500 and the manifestations of disease start very, very early, we really do need to think about early diagnosis and treatment. And so in patients with a family history of early onset of cardiovascular disease and or known severe hypercholesterolemia, recommendations are to start testing and monitoring at age two. You know, any time that one does, you'll pick up this diagnosis and then can consider when to start treatment. But as we've touched on, early diagnosis will allow treatment. And part of this for patients is to do so-called cascade screening, where you map out the family tree and see who has familial hypercholesterolemia. And this is a family with homozygous familial hypercholesterolemia. And so there are patients across the different generations who have homozygous FH. And of course, both parents have to have either homozygous or heterozygous FH. And so this family is riddled with high cholesterol. And so diagnosing this early can then get patients on treatment early. So in the next section, we'll look at what's available for treatment and what about the efficacy of new emerging therapies such as an ANG-PTL3 inhibitor for severe FH. We'll begin with the guidelines for management of hypercholesterolemia, which also apply to patients with severe FH. And so the guidelines all center around whether your primary prevention or have known atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, or ASCVD, where the goals for the LDL would be to get less than 100 if your primary prevention or less than 70 for ASCVD. The ESC and EAS guidelines go one step further and say that for higher risk ASCVD, getting less than 55 would be the goal. And so the treatments that we have available begin with statins, then azetamibe, and then the PCSK9 inhibitors. And there are these further add-on therapies that help us get to our goal. This is a listing of the LDL reduction in the traditionally available agents that we just reviewed, but in patients with homozygous FH. And so the percent reductions in LDL are much less than what we're used to seeing. With statins, because they're often defective LDL receptors, they have a much less effect than usual. Azetamibe is also about half of the usual amount of reduction. It's just 10% reduction. And even the PCSK9 inhibitors are also about half of what we're used to seeing of 21 to 27%. 
Lamidipide was developed for homozygous FH. It has about a 33% effect. It's a dose-dependent thing, and there are side effects there. And then apheresis can get up to 50%, but there you have to come in every two weeks to get that treatment. And interestingly, this matches the mechanisms of these different classes of drugs where the first four sets of agents all work through the LDL receptor pathway, where the LDL receptors are upregulated based on the pharmacologic effect of the statins, ezetimibe, etc. You know, there are direct effects, so ezetimibe blocks absorption of cholesterol, but then some of its effect is also through the upregulation of the LDL receptor. This differs from the newest agent, the ANG-PTL3 inhibitor, that inhibits lipoprotein lipase and ethelial lipase. And these are pathways that are independent of the LDL receptor. And so we see very different effects on LDL in this population. So in the next section, we'll discuss the efficacy of available and the emerging ANG-PTL3 inhibitors for the treatment of FH and particularly homozygous FH. Shown here is a high-level diagram of how an ANG-PTL3 inhibitor works to lower LDL cholesterol. And this is different than the traditional LDL receptor clearance. That's shown at the bottom where the LDL binds to the LDL receptor in the liver and is then cleared. But if those are either absent or defective, that pathway doesn't clear as much LDL cholesterol. The inhibition of ANG-PTL3 inhibitor allows the clearance of VLDL remnants by the VLDL remnant receptors. And so it's completely independent of the LDL receptor and thus allows very high percentage reduction in cholesterol by this alternate pathway. Shown here are the data from the pivotal trial of the ANG-PTL3 inhibitor Evanacumab, as shown in patients who are getting all their standard baseline LDL-lowering therapy plus placebo, little change over time. But with the addition of the ANG-PTL3 inhibitor, Evanacumab, you get a 50% reduction in LDL. And this is true even when you look at the different subtypes where you have null-null or no LDL receptors at all versus those who have some, the effects are identical with this agent. Now, there are a few different agents that are in development. One of them is shown was an antisense oligonucleotide, and it had a very modest change in LDL, just 12%. And I believe this agent is no longer being developed because of such a modest effect. The siRNA agent, as we just saw, has about a 50% reduction in LDL, so very potent effect. And then there are monoclonal antibodies also being developed that so far have seen about a 37% reduction in LDL. In our final section, we'll discuss the safety profiles of available and emerging ANG-PTL3 inhibitors for severe FH and review how to provide an evidence-based guideline and tailor the care for the severe FH patients across different patient ages. Shown here are the safety profiles of the various treatments we use for treating cholesterol and specifically homozygous FH. For statins, the side effect that we think most about are myopathy and the severe version rhabdomyolysis that thankfully is rare. 
On occasion, patients will have elevations in liver enzymes as a hepatotoxicity. We often have to adjust the doses downward, and some patients can't tolerate statins, and so we move on to non-statin agents. For ezetimibe, there are really no major side effects. Several minor ones are listed, but nothing major. For PCSK9 inhibitors, again, no major effects, but one can get injection site reactions. And interestingly, upper respiratory tract infections are slightly more common with the PCSK9 inhibitors. For lamidipide, GI distress is the major limitation of the agent, and it's dose-dependent. And so very often you have to use very low doses. And one can also get transaminitis and liver enzymes and fatty liver have been described as well. For evanacumab, there are no major side effects that have been seen, but the minor ones that are listed include nasopharyngitis and influenza-like illness, dizziness, runny nose, nausea and pain in the extremity have also been listed in the package insert. Overall, the key takeaways in managing severe FH and homozygous FH in particular is to first identify these patients. And that allows one to get treatment going early. And this harkens back to the concept of the cumulative amount of cholesterol that a patient's arteries would be exposed to. The longer you leave it at that super high level, the more exposure the arteries have. Whereas if you bring it down at a young age, that would minimize the risk of developing premature coronary disease. I think we work together with patients and family to educate them on the risks and the need for therapy and to continue therapy, that this is a lifelong treatment. One has to always work with all the different agents and figure out which ones are tolerated and have an effect. And often we have to try alternate statin dosing and different agents and rechallenge as part of the journey. But then now really consider the role of emerging therapies such as the ANGPTL3 inhibitors as add-on therapies for patients who don't achieve their goals. So in short, I think we first have to find these patients with the severe elevations of LDL cholesterol and then refer them to a specialist that can offer all of these new therapies and really reduce their burden of disease and hopefully improve their outcomes. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.